Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you there today. Um, on the evening before Jesus's crucifixion, he prayed a prayer to God the Father that's recorded for us in posterity in John's Gospel, the 17th chapter. And in that prayer, he said this, I brought you glory, Father, on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And ever since he prayed that prayer, it's now the privilege of every sincere and devoted follower of Christ to bring glory to God the Father when we complete the work that he has for each of us to do. But our assignment, should we choose to accept it, is always going to be beyond our ability and resources to complete. It keeps us dependent on him. And in today's message, we're going to discover that Jesus actually invites us to pray for his kingdom to break into our lives so that we can fully and completely fulfill our God-given mission here on the earth. As Melissa shared, uh, we're continuing our sermon series titled, The Amazing Possibilities of Prayer. Our conviction is that God intended prayer to be experienced as vital, as life-giving, and life-changing. And we've got three fundamental hopes for our shared time together. The first is that our prayer foundations, what we believe about prayer, will actually grow to be biblical, clear, and compelling. Secondly, we're hoping that our prayer practices, what we actually do in prayer, will be simple. And then thirdly, that our experiences, what we see happen when we pray, will grow to reflect all that Jesus actually desires for his children to experience in prayer. And we've been looking as our foundation at the model for prayer that Jesus gave his followers when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, it's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. It's found in your Bibles in the Gospel of of Matthew and in Luke. So if you have a Bible, you might want to open it this morning to um, Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible app on your smartphone, Matthew chapter 6, it's in the context of Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he shared this model for prayer. And uh, you can, by the way, check out what we've said in our previous messages that lead up to today by checking out our podcast on the website. It's really easily accessible on the homepage, www.thevineyardchurchpeoria.com or .org. And uh, one of those two, I think it's org. Is it org? Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, and you can click on the podcast on the on the homepage. But I thought it'd be great for us just to uh, pray together the Lord's Prayer as we launch our service today. So let's pray this prayer out loud together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, we do just thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together this morning and to celebrate the beginning of a new week by gathering together with those who share a similar passion And we pray, God, that today you would inspire us to worship you, that you would enlarge our capacities to love you and love one another, that you would equip us for effective ministry in the worlds where you have us. 
You alone, Lord, know what we so desperately need. Put your power on on your word to our lives today in your name. Amen. Well, we've begun unpacking the Lord's Prayer over the last weeks by indicating that it has six parts. There are five specific petitions in the prayer and one concluding praise and affirmation. It's like an accordion that can expand or contract as we have time to pray. And we've looked so far at the first petition, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And what we've learned so far is that Jesus desires for our prayers to begin with an affirmation of identity, ours and his. As our Father, God's compassionate, he's approachable, he's motivated to act on our behalf, uh, as as we are his children, he is our Father, loved by the Father. As our holy King in heaven, God has both the power and ability to do what we're actually petitioning. It's not just an exercise that's therapeutic in nature. God can do what we're asking him to do. And we honor his name by asking that the fivefold blessings revealed in his Old Testament names be established in our life. Salvation, the spirit, soundness, success, and security. Now, today we're going to move into the second petition regarding the kingdom. As we've prayed, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. It's safe to conclude that the kingdom of God is the central message and mission of Jesus. To miss the significance of the kingdom and the life and ministry of Jesus is to miss the significance of his life and ministry altogether. So his teachings showed people how to enter it. His miracles proved that it had come. His parables explained its mysteries. And this prayer taught his followers to desire its full expression. Your kingdom come. So what did Jesus mean when he instructed us to pray for the kingdom to come? Well, the Western world conceives of kingdoms largely in terms of geographic, uh, uh, a geographic sense, a parcel of land over which a sovereign ruler exercises authority or lordship. Think of the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, or the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. But the biblical term kingdom would more accurately be defined or described as the rule or reign, R-E-I-G-N. Now, Jesus never directly explained the kingdom when he showed up. Rather, he just announced that it was here. Uh, The opening salvo of his ministry is recorded for us in Mark's gospel, the first chapter, And we read in chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near or at hand or present. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, because Jesus never explained it, many in his audience misunderstood. On one hand, There were a number of people who who thought he meant he was ushering in a a geographic or political kingdom. 
It was a, a return to the good old days of Kings David and Solomon in the glory days of Israel's empire uh, a thousand years before. They thought God's kingdom would mean a military defeat of the oppressive Roman Empire, and then Jesus as the Messiah would now rule over this new territory. Still others thought that Jesus was referring to a a, a time in the future when the present evil age, as they knew it, would end. Uh, That Jesus was, was talking about the new age, referred to by the prophets as the expression, the day of the Lord a day when peace and prosperity and justice and blessing for all the world would finally come back as Israel regained its rightful place as God's preeminent people on the earth. But neither of these misconceptions proved true. When Jesus brought the rule and reign of God, his kingdom, it was, it was coming in an unexpected way. Instead of leading a revolution against the the pagan Roman government and its authority and destroying all human sovereignties, or instead of ushering in worldwide peace as Israel was restored to a place of preeminent glory, Jesus was invading the lives of men and women and children with God's rule and reign. It looked totally different than what people were expecting. And we read how Jesus described the inauguration of his rule in Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter, where Jesus um, gave his inaugural sermon in the synagogue, and it was with these words in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus announced, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus was saying and went on to demonstrate that the blessings and and benefits of the future age to come have actually now invaded the present as he forgave sin, as men and women and children were restored in relationship to God, as people were healed, as they were uh, encouraged with hope, as people were delivered from the oppression of the enemy, as he brought justice and true freedom to all people everywhere, peace and joy and blessing and prosperity, that the blessings of the future age to come, the day of the Lord, had actually now broken into this present evil age. And it took people by surprise. But Jesus made it clear that the battle in which he was engaged was not with political sovereignties, the government of Rome, or or uh, a restoration of Israel's great glory, but rather a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. He framed his ministry this way in John's Gospel, the 10th chapter. Jesus said on this occasion, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. As the New Living Translation translates, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. You see the contrast to the two kingdoms that are in conflict? The kingdom of darkness that's ruled by the thief, Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the snake, goes by many other names in the Bible. And his work, Jesus said, speaking metaphorically and literally, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my work, the work of God's kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom that's ruled by Christ himself, the Lord of all the earth, 
My purpose is to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly, a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said in another context, to set everything right again. And so in his words and in his works, Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God as he pushed back the work of our evil enemy, Satan. I thought it might be helpful for those of you who, who are visual learners to actually show you a diagram that, that will be helpful in, in kind of uh, explaining this uh, two-age, two-kingdom uh, conflict. Now, this two-kingdom illustration is a visual picture to show the expanse of human history, beginning on the, on the left side of the diagram with the fall of mankind into sin in the Garden of Eden. It launched the period of time, the bottom arrow, the orange arrow, called this age, otherwise referred to in the Bible as this present evil age or this evil age. Those terms are synonymous. And it's ruled by the kingdom of darkness. John says in 1 John 5.19 that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And so the enemy, Satan, has a limited sphere of authority. He's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. But he has uh, the, the capacity to, to wreak havoc on this present world structure. Satan, in this sense, is the god of this age, rules by the kingdom of darkness. But then when Jesus came to earth the first time, he announced that he was bringing God's kingdom. And so the first uh, vertical line indicates the first coming of Jesus, where he's bringing the kingdom. And it launches human history into the era of time that the Bible calls the last days. So the time between the first coming of Jesus in his advent and then the second coming of Jesus, the second vertical line, where he will literally come again a second time. This period of time is a parenthesis in history that is called in the Bible, in biblical language, the last days. So we've been living in the last days for about 2,000 years now. And in what's unique about this, this time is that the two ages, the age to come, the future age, the day of the Lord, and this present evil age coexist at the same time. They overlap. They're both here. The age to come has invaded this present evil age. And the glimpse of eternity that was provided by Jesus as he uh, healed the, the, the blind, as he raised the dead, as the sick were healed, as the oppressed were receiving justice. This snapshot of what life in the future is going to be like is actually intended by Christ to continue today under the ministry of the church. We're to continue what Jesus began in the overlapping of the two ages. And that's why we will often say the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet all the way here like it will be when Jesus returns. And that's why we use the language already, not yet. That's what's unique about the time in history in which the church lives. The kingdom is already here because Jesus came bringing it, but it's not yet all the way here. We still live in a broken world, cursed by sin. People still get sick. They die prematurely. Accident, sickness, and calamity and misfortune still happen. Why? We don't understand fully why Jesus didn't take the devil out at the cross, but why he left them here. That's part of that sovereign mystery under God's rulership that we'll understand someday, if it's important to us by the time we get there. By faith, we live in the age to come while we wrestle 
with Satan who tries to keep us mired and rooted in this present evil age. Now, many evangelical Christians believe that the gospel, the good news, is merely about believing that Jesus died and was resurrected so that our sins could be forgiven and we could go to heaven when we die. Fully true. But friends, this is a very diminished view of what Jesus said and demonstrated was his intention. Jesus said the gospel or the good news that we just read in Mark 1, 14 and 15 is the announcement that God's kingdom has arrived. That's the good news. We're not just waiting as forgiven sinners to die and go to heaven. Rather, we're to be partnering with God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit to usher in the rule and the reign of God right here and now. We're to be occupied with with bringing God's kingdom on the earth where we work and live and play and go to school and, and shop and eat and hang out and do life. We're to be God's vessels for bringing his kingdom present in the midst of a crooked and perverse present evil age. Now, the early church, when you read their history in the, in the, in the book of Acts, seemed to live with an understanding that they were to continue the words and works of Christ. They were to continue the ministry that Jesus began in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were to continue his ministry here on the earth, as we will sing in our worship set today. Ministering wholeness in an overall sense, plundering the kingdom of darkness wherever they they found his works present, reclaiming people from the grip of the enemy. That's the work the church is called to do. And each one of us that's a sincere and devoted follower of Christ plays a unique role in that mission going forward. And friends, if you haven't discovered it yet, you soon will, that you need more than your resources and abilities for that mission to come to pass. If you're going to fulfill Jesus' prayer in John 17, 4, to complete the work that God has for you to do, and in that way, bring God the Father glory, you are going to discover that you need resources and abilities beyond you. And that is why Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth. We can't fulfill that mission without his help. So let's bring this down then right to where we live. Let's, let's drill this down to, to, to where, where we're at. When we pray the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, what we're really praying quite simply is this. I like to think of it this way. We're to pray, we're praying for God's love, mercy, power, and truth to bear right where we are. LMPT. Love, mercy, power, and truth. That's that, that would be a way we could describe the rule and the reign of God. Where we need it in our lives, in the lives of those that we love, and in, in the lives of our spheres of influence. We're asking for heaven, the future kingdom, to be made present on the earth, this present evil age. We're asking for heaven to come to earth. In that sense, friends, heaven is much closer than you imagine. So I'm going to suggest five categories in which to pray. In other words, uh, these are the the rails that our prayers can run on. I don't know about you, but if I'm just like left to my own devices about pray the kingdom come, after about two minutes, my mind just like goes to mush. 
Like I, I need like like a model. I, I need a structure and a frame to hang my prayers on. So I want to give you the one that's worked for me. You know, you can put it in your pipe and smoke it for a while, and if it doesn't work for you, now that's just an old expression. I don't know where it came from, actually. <laughs> well, maybe I kind of do, but no. <laughs> when I use expressions that are old, my kids look at me all the time and say, Dad, you know, like, that's an antique expression. Use something like like we would understand. Like, like Katie, bar the door, or, you know, whatever. The, anyway, people my age and older know where all those things came from. But anyway, all, all I'm saying is that if, if these five categories don't work for you as you pray for the kingdom, fine. Come up with five or two or ten categories that work for you. But here's five simple categories in which to craft our prayers. As the accordion of the Lord's Prayer expands, and you have more than a one-minute demarcation on section two, then here's, here's five simple categories. Yourselves, your family, your church, your spheres of influence, and your leaders. And we're going to go back now and kind of, I'm going to suggest some simple prayers in each of these categories. The first, pray for yourselves. You know, that might seem selfish. You should pray for everybody else first. But friends, here, here's just a little like insight. If, if you don't make it, then all your prayers for everything else ain't like going to count, right? Because you won't be around to pray. You know, John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard, once said, you know, you, you got to be first concerned about making sure that the church is open for business tomorrow. And so in that sense, you got to make sure you're around to actually pray, to be used by God for the kingdom to expand. And so start with yourself. It's not selfish. It's, it's actually reflecting uh, of God's priority that the kingdom be established. So begin by praying for yourself, that you would love God with everything you've got, that you would love others, that, that you would know and do everything God wants you to do, John 17, 4, that you would please God at all times, 2 Corinthians 9, that, that you would trust Him with your life, that you would be conformed to the character of Christ and that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would would be made manifest in your life and that, that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and in that process that you'd be filled with wisdom and guidance and decision-making and stewardship and financial and, and time management. So pray those kinds of prayers. That, 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 those were seven right there. Love and knowing every, and doing everything He wants you to do. Pleasing, trusting, conforming, being filled and uh, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And what you might pray about God's work in your life will change depending on the season that he's got you in. You know, in the same way that God uses nature and the seasons to, to create, uh, you know, his overall effect in the course of a year. So your life is filled with different seasons. Your place and station in life may change as your marital status changes, as your number of children changes, as as the seasons of life change. And so... With changing life, changing circumstances, allow the Holy Spirit to craft those prayers somewhat differently. So begin by praying for yourself. Secondly, pray for our family and our extended family. Now, I begin by praying for my spouse. So you pray for your spouse if you have one, or you pray for the spouse you hope to have if you're not married. Amen? You pray for God's kingdom to come in you regarding your spouse. And what I mean by that is this. You, you ask God to help you love him or her with incredible passion. That God would help you be the encouraging spouse that they need. And so you begin by praying for your spouse by God doing a work in you. And then you pray for him or her, that God's kingdom would come to them in the areas you know that your spouse needs. 
Now, see, what this is going to going to demand is that there's open dialogue between the two of you so you actually can hear at their deep heart level what it is that he or she actually needs. So I pray for, for my wife to have health and healing and soundness because she's now a cancer survivor. I pray that God would release her from stress, that uh, she'd bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit and that God's character would be formed in her that she would be able to use her God-given gifts and abilities, and that her ministry would be strengthened and effective in the local church. I pray that God would actually listen to her prayers because she's a much better prayer than I am. And so I, I, I say, God, grease those skids because I, I need all the help we can get. And you might just pray whatever prayers you know your spouse needs. And then you pray for your children and grandchildren if you have them. Uh, I pray that God would pour out blessing and favor, that they'd be filled with love for him and love for others. Two prayers that I learned many, many years ago when our children were young, one by Susanna Wesley and one by Mother Teresa, is that each of our kids would learn to walk their own road and make their lives count for God. And I prayed those prayers almost every day since our first daughter was born. I pray that uh, that your kids could use their natural and spiritual gifts and talents and abilities to further God's kingdom, that his purposes would be clear to them. They'd receive guidance and direction for the Holy Spirit on where they need to go and be and do and serve. And then I would encourage you to pray special prayers of resolutions over your children, things that maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to you about them in their particular season in life, or if he gives you a, an insight or a word of knowledge, because Parents' job is to, according to the book of Psalms, to train up our children in the way they go. Like arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of our youth. And what that means is, I think, in part, is that our job is to, as a parent is to direct our kids through our prayers about the way that God wants them to go. And so you're crafting those prayers about God's purposes for their life in his kingdom in your prayer closet, praying that God would direct and shape the, the arrow of their life. And so you pray those insights and, and, and those uh, resolutions over your children. And then you pray for your extended family, for your parents, maybe your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your nieces, your nephews, because we all need God's touch in our life. Pray for yourselves. Pray for uh, your family. Thirdly, you pray for your church. My personal conviction is that our mission in life as a Christ follower, John 17, is forever intertwined with God's vision for the local church. As broken as she is, the local church is still God's hope for the world. And and there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, somebody floating around that that's a member of this universal mystical body of Christ. When the New Testament speaks of disciples, it's always people who are rooted in a local fellowship, real people in a real place that gather together to do real things in God's name. Your mission in life, having chosen to accept it, is always integrally related to your work in a local church. And so, yeah, it behooves you to pray for the kingdom to come to your local church. Now, for those of you that are that are part of the Vineyard Church family, I've posted on our um, church-wide communication tool called The City uh, to uh, uh, list our prayer dreams for our church family. I can tell you're looking very intently at that picture. Just for a benchmark, this picture was taken last October, I believe, or uh, maybe November, right as we launched uh, uh, the inaugural service in this building. 
And so if you're not in there and you're part of the Vineyard family, that's because you've, you've joined us since that picture was taken. And we'll do one of these annually so you, you get your chance like this October to be in the church family picture, okay? It's merely illustrative of our church family. But uh, kudos to Adam who does our slideshow every week. So uh, thanks for putting that in there, Adam. But to our prayer dreams are listed on our churchwide communication tool called The City. And I'll, I'll just show you, just explain them really briefly what they are. You can access that if you're a member of the city. If not, you can check off on your Connect card today that you want to get connected in the city. And you can see these prayer dreams so you could enfold them into your prayers for the kingdom to come to Vineyard Peoria. We pray for our vision, our vision that affects Peoria and the surrounding communities, Taswell, Woodford, Stark, and Marshall counties. And we pray that God would enable us to help people follow Jesus and find real life. That's what we want to be about. And there are four underlying values that make that happen. The first is wonder, that every person would, would dynamically, powerfully experience the living God in all that we do, in a personal way, through Jesus, faithfully participating in our weekend worship services, in the disciplines of the faith, and our life together. Secondly, friendship, that we would authentically connect with others in meaningful ways, And for us, that often happens as we're willing to take the risk and invest our lives in small group relationships. Thirdly, that every member would compassionately and powerfully extend God's kingdom in the spheres of life where he's placed us. That speaks of our impact. And then fourthly, that every member would be both radically and beautifully transformed to reflect Christ and to transform others. That's 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 the word we use, change. Wonder and friendship, impact and change. And so we pray that that stuff would actually happen, that our church life would be marked with signs and wonders and miracles like the early church, radical inclusivity, that it would, that it would be marked by practical generosity and an infectious attitude of joy and peace and thankfulness, and that we would have noticeable community goodwill, that it would make a difference if the Vineyard Peoria wasn't here. And then we pray for our church family. Uh, you can pray for the fruit of the Spirit because we all, we all need like to grow in that area. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, we can pray for strength, that we'd all have the ability to resist doubt and temptation, intimidation of the enemy. Uh, we pray for friends, that we'd all have the ability to connect with other people inside and outside of the church. And we pray for help. God, we need your help to fulfill our, our callings in life. To pray for our current ministry directors, the people who lead ministries like Jeff and Amy and worship and, and Carrie and the children's ministry, those who are leading our small groups, uh, Melissa, who introduced herself as the captain of the welcome team and, and, uh, Amy in charge of hospitality and tech, the guys that serve in, in, in the tech ministry and our communications. That's Adam, uh, facility, Steve, who oversees all the things in the facility, outreach. Uh, Melissa is our, our ministry outreach director. And then there's me, who's the pastor. You know, I need all the prayers I can get, so pray for me. And then, in my case, I pray for every member and every guest of the vineyard by name. And the more I get to know you, the more that the more specific those prayers actually become. That's why we, we ask you every week to complete uh, one of those Connect cards that uh, Melissa held up, where you, you record uh, on the Connect card uh, the ways that you want God to move in your life. And when you write that down, we actually will pray that for you. And so the more specific that you can be, you can, you're, you're willing to be in disclosing, 
I'll actually use those to, to pray by name for everybody in our church family. And, and then um, you could also pray for things like new leadership to arise, new ministry opportunities to present themselves for, for our place and purpose in the city of Peoria to come to pass. So you, play, you pray for, for your church. And then you could also pray for our logistics. Just things like growing and assimilating new members and conversions and water baptisms to happen for the numbers of small groups to increase because that's where we do life. You pray for our, our budget to grow so that we have the capacity to add staff and, and expand our programming. And then as you're praying for the local church, you might also pray for the least and the lost uh, that are that are here, the those that God's called us to reach, people with whom we're building relationship, and they will cross those bridges of relationship to eventually join us. You might pray for our future campuses. We have a vision to plant campuses in Chillicothe and in East Peoria and in Morton and in Washington, and we'll plant a church, perhaps, Lord willing, in the city of Galesburg someday, and then maybe up north in LaSalle and Peru. You pray for missionaries that you might support in your global efforts around the world or in local ministries that that uh, you choose to to strengthen. We, we serve with Southside Mission right now. And then other worthy causes. And so all of these are wrapped together in your prayers for your local church. Fourthly, you're going to pray for your spheres of influence. Work, since that occupies about 50% of your waking hours, you're going to pray for God's love, mercy, power, and truth to invade your work, your, your attitude, and your performance, and your ability and relationships as an employer or employee. Um, I love, uh, just to illustrate how, um, just, just in the last several weeks, Elliot Kammeyer uh, filled out one of these um, stories of God at work. And l- listen to, to what Elliot shared about how God's kingdom invaded his life at work. I prayed for peace at work. And all the stressful deadlines were abruptly met ahead of schedule when I could not see an end in sight. God came through in a magnificent way to let me be at peace at work. Isn't that awesome? Where Elliot got to experience the kingdom of God coming in a dramatic and unexpected way as he prayed about God at work. You, uh, you, you would pray for your school if you're in school or the school of, uh, of your children if they're in school or the parents of your kids' friends in that school. Maybe you, you pray in your sphere of influence for your neighborhood, uh, the street upon which you live, or your apartment complex or your condominium development. You pray for the people with whom you do life, people that you see regularly, your doctor, your dentist, your chiropractor, the clerk at the, at the Hy-Vee or the Kroger that you frequent regularly, the restaurants where you hang out, maybe today at Avani's after the service, or where you work out. Uh, maybe the clubs or the organizations of which you're a part, the sports teams that you play on, or the people that you see at the golf course where you golf regularly, uh, maybe the Neighborhood Homeowners Association. These opportunities are people for whom you can pray, where you buy your gas, where you have your car serviced. In the vineyard, we're fond of saying that we, we are to pray for our five friends, and this would be the people uh, in your life for whom you don't think anyone else is praying. And so then we pray spheres of influence. That's four. The fifth area to hang your prayers for the kingdom to come would be your leaders, your city, state, and national leaders in that order, because local politics are always more important than than international politics in the sense of that it has an effect of where you live and the quality of your life. So you pray for Jim Artis, the mayor of Peoria, or your city if you're uh, in an outlying town, chief settings guard, the chief of police, 
uh, the city council members. You pray for Governor Quinn. He needs all the help he can get right now. President Obama, his cabinet, your senators and representatives. You're never free to have an opinion expressed about any of those offices until you invest time to pray for them first. Pastors in this city and churches where your children and grandchildren worship. These would be uh, prayers for leaders that would be um, helpful. So these five categories will give you a frame to hang your prayers for the kingdom to come on. Now let me wrap up today by sharing just one final word about this section of the Lord's Prayer. Many Christians are confused about the will of God in prayer, in part fueled by a misunderstanding of this section where we're taught to pray for the Lord's will to be done. Many Christians believe that we should make our requests known to God, and then in a supposed demonstration of humility or piety, that we should qualify those prayers with the expression, if it be your will, or as this section says, your will be done. And so this implication is that what we have prayed may not be the will of God. And so tacking on either of these expressions, your will be done or if it be your will, acknowledges that we, we may have asked for things inappropriately. And then God gives, it, it implicitly gives God permission to do it, what we think he was going to do anyway. Let me say with all of my heart, I do not believe that this section of the prayer is ever intended by God to be a prayer of resignation. First of all, Jesus never instructs us to pray if it be your will. The only time Jesus ever prayed this kind of prayer that was remotely close to this was in the Garden of Gethsemane in the shadow of the cross. In Mark, we read the story that they went to an olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John, became deeply troubled and distressed, and he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour away to him might pass. Abba, Father, he cried, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, what, what has happened is, is that uh, Christians have taken this prayer and, and extrapolated it as the model for prayer on all occasions. But friends, Jesus was in a life and death battle with the devil, crushed with the grief of the sin of the world at this moment. These circumstances are so far removed from anything you have ever or will ever face that it's not a model for the kind of prayer that we're to pray regularly. We cannot extrapolate from Jesus' prayer in the garden in these incredible circumstances a template for all of prayer by tacking on to all of our prayers, if it be your will. Furthermore, Jesus knew exactly what the will of the Father was. This wasn't a prayer of like, I'm just tossing this prayer up and, uh, you know, I don't know what the will of the Lord is, so I tack on if it be your will. It was not a prayer of, of resignation because he knew exactly what God wanted. His entire life had been moving towards this moment. Being fully human, though, Jesus' struggle was a complete surrender to the Father's will. And so when we're wrestling with God in issues of surrender, it would be appropriate. But in areas where God has already revealed his will, it's never appropriate. And so Jesus equates the coming of the kingdom with God's will being done in this section of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You want to know what the will of God is? Look at what Jesus did in bringing the kingdom. Dynamically equivalent. Look at Jesus, and in this way, we already know what the will of God is in a general way in many areas. 
And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for everything that Jesus did to break in on the earth right now. God's kingdom is not our escape into a, another world after our death, but rather God's sovereign rule breaking into the earth right now, bringing God's will to be done right here, right now. Heaven on earth is what this part of the prayer is teaching us to pray. We never have to modify these prayers where God's will is already revealed with an, if it be your will. Jesus has already declared in his words and his works what the will of God is. And we're to pray that into existence. So friends, let me say it this way. This is not a meek and timid prayer of resignation. Nevertheless, if it be your will. No, rather, it's a bold, risky, crazy prayer of asking God to intervene. It's as if we were saying, Jesus, you rule and you reign at the right hand of the Father. Your resurrection inaugurated a new age, the age to come, and it was proof that it had, it had come. And right now, God, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit to fuel this worldwide change. And we ask that you would break into our lives and our families' lives and our church and our spheres of influence and our leaders and our communities and our, and our nations with your kingdom in all the ways that you know we need. Bring the will of God, Lord, to bear on the earth as it was revealed in the will of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, and enable us, Lord, to partner with you in fulfilling the mission you've given us in our church to fulfill. Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've, you've equipped us with the Holy Spirit and a powerful prayer to see your work come to pass. Lord, all of us, when we die, we want to know that, that our life counted for something, that, our, that we were filled with your Spirit on a mission. And I pray that every person here, that Lord, would, would grab a hold of this foundational, powerful prayer so that we could be about fulfilling the mission you've given us to do and in that way, bring you glory. Put your power on our offerings now, Lord, to you as we lift our hearts and our hands in song. And as we give to you our gifts, may, may they bring glory to you, be tokens of, of what we intend to communicate, that our lives are yours. In your name, amen.